Captain's Log, Stardate 75399.2 The Vigilant has been ordered to Copernicus Station to rendezvous with scientists from the USS Carroll. I am taking the time to reflect as we await news of upgrades that would aid our efforts as a space-faring society. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to the inner man. Execute. All right, everyone. We are here in the land of the voices in your ears. That made no sense. But anyways, everyone, welcome to another voyage here with these are the voyages i'm the captain captain chase mckinney and joining me is my trusted number one even though it's questionable sometimes how trusted he can be lieutenant commander eric welcome back bud how are things going in your neck of the woods that's disappointing that you don't think you can trust me well you know you just got to say these things to like you know see if you're actually listening half the time <laughs> well i mean of course i'm listening <sighs> well I guess, yeah, you can be trusted. You're trustworthy and loyal and helpful. Helpful, friendly. Friendly and courteous. most of the time you're courteous, kind. I don't know about obedient. Well, you know, got a little rebel in me. That's true. That's true. Anyways, et cetera, et cetera. You guys get the idea. If you know, you know type of thing. Yeah, if you know, you know. <laughs> Anyway, well, anyways, Eric, it's good to see you again, uh, hear you again. Um, people can't see you. I can see you, and I can hear you. Um, this is We're off to a great start, by the way, everyone. And, fantastic. Uh, fan-freaking-tastic. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, Eric and I, we were just uh, jibber-jabbering about some, some random uh, music stuff prior to the show uh, recording, and, uh, you know, especially, like, as it relates to what we're, we're doing tonight. Uh, but we, we, I think we've, we had to get the, the music stuff up out our, out our system, and we'll probably talk about that at some point during the show. But um, how's your week been? How, how's, how's your weekend, week, whatever been? Um, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I'm house-sitting for my brother, dog-sitting, really, for my brother, who's in Florida. So, you know, I've been going back and forth between my house and his to take care of the dogs. They... They ate the food that I had brought over there, like when I was gone, right? I left some food on the little kitchen island, and when I came back, it was gone. They had they'd eaten hmm. it. So yeah, good dogs, right? Dogs? Was it bacon strips? Please tell me it was bacon strips. No, it wasn't bacon strips. It was like chicken and rice. Hmm. I mean, you know, just just staple. But the dogs, I guess, loved it. True story. True story. Mm-hmm. I used to love those. The I don't know if I really loved them, I just really enjoyed like the really dumb, cheesy like dog food and cat food commercials back in the day. Like the just strips. like like bacon strips. Dogs don't know it's not bacon. Raggy. It's bacon. It's bacon. No, it's not. It's not bacon. And then there was like the. Like for the cat lovers out there, there was like the fancy feast, and you had like the super, like, bougie looking white cat from like Doctor No or whatever, that yeah, like the showed fancy up. Feast. 
<laughs> yeah, with a fancy feast. It was, it, yeah. was like, it was like Duchess from the Aristocats. Yeah. That's a, that's a good reference right there. There we go. For all of you Disney fans. Look, Dr. No, Aristocats. Come on now. We're, we're off to a great start. That's right. Yeah. Not, not, not Austin Powers with Mr. Bigglesworth. That was a naked cat. No fur. So, I don't know, Eric. I mean, you're, you're dog sitting. You're a cat person. So, uh, yes. do you feel as if you're in conflict with yourself? No, because I can leave the dogs and come back to my cat. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Right. I mean, I'm like, never do, going to be a dog person. But does do your brother's dogs like get like super jealous or like you know or teed off or whatever because there's like you know cat pheromones or whatever all up on you uh, or I vice think, versa? I don't think so. No. Okay. All right. Well. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and other than that, other than that, um, I went to another like shakes party at my boss's the, uh, this weekend. That was fun. Right? We just get together and we read aloud a whole Shakespeare play in one night. So what was the play this time? We did Coriolanus, which is not... Uh, like a common one that most people are even aware. Of. A lot of people are like, "Man, I've never even heard of this one." Right. So, for those that have never heard of it, what's the general premise of the so story? It, it's one of a, the Roman plays. Essentially, Coriolanus is a general in the Roman army who um, basically hates the little people, the plebes. Right? He hates them, and uh, he has such disdain for them. But like the the Senate is trying to give them a seat or a voice in, in government, and he hates the idea. But anyway, he goes off to war, and he he wins a big victory, and he's coming home, and they're going to name him Consul, which is like the head of the, the Roman Empire. It's still the Roman Empire. Not the Roman Republic at that point. But he shows such disdain for the little people, the plebes, that they... The, the tribunes who represent the pleas basically conspire against him to they want him to be killed but eventually they settle for banishment but then he go after he gets banished he goes and meets up with his enemy and uh, tries to attack Rome and take it over with the help of his old enemy that he defeated at the beginning of the play before okay. it's a tragedy so you already know what's going to happen at the end of it Right. I mean, everyone Bill dies. Shakespeare. Everyone dies. Bill Shakespeare loves to have everyone die in a good tragedy. <laughs> yeah. It's tragic how tragedy his play those, those plays can be. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Compared to a comedy where everyone ends up getting married. Yeah. Which, yeah. There's people in disguise and then everyone gets married. Right. Right. It's the weirdest thing. Like either you die or you get married when it comes to Shakespeare. I mean. Well, well. In Love's Labor Lost, they do not actually get married. Sure. Right, so that's like the one, I think, that, that doesn't happen. So, um, obviously, you don't watch um, Doctor Who yet. but uh, <laughs> As soon as it ends, I'll start watching it, because I guarantee you I will catch up to it. If we start at the 2005... Right, not if we go all the way back, but if we start to, at Christopher to 1963, Eccleston, yeah, 
Christopher Eccleston. If we start there, yeah, I guarantee you I will catch up to it before it finishes. Oh, 100% you will. I know you will. And so yeah. that's why I don't want to start watching it until it's sure. over. So, you don't, uh, Eric, I don't think you know this, but my absolute favorite, um, I, not, maybe not absolute favorite, but it's just like one of those like comfort episodes, you know, like you're having like a crappy day or it's just like a day or you're feeling sick or whatever it might be. And anyways, my, one of my, my comfort episodes of Doctor Who is from the David Tennant era of Doctor Who, who I consider him to be my doctor. And you'll understand the whole my doctor thing once you finally start watching it. Uh, but with with him, there's an episode from his second season as the Doctor. It's called The Shakespeare Code. And him and his companion, they travel back to the time of Shakespeare. And they're they're going through the whole love's labor lost love and like what is being called love uh love's labor one and it's supposed to be like you know one of the the lost plays from like the original folio or whatever anyways so it's like a total play on that and um anyway i think i've told you in the past before but david Tennant is actually um part of um, i don't know if he still is but he was part of the um board essentially of the Royal Shakespeare Company so um, whether he was back then or not I don't know but it's just kind of cool like just how much I mean just Shakespeare in general like you have a lot of actors doing a lot of great work um, outside of Shakespeare just because they've had like that Shakespearean classical training essentially yeah. well, well there's also an episode of the Twilight Zone I don't know how much Twilight Zone you've watched it's called The Bard and so it's basically about like a talentless hack writer who is somehow able to summon Shakespeare and he like gets Shakespeare to write for him and he tries to pass off Shakespeare's writing as his own. That's cool. Yeah, and it, cool. It, it's really not a good episode. It's one of the lower rated episodes of the original Twilight Zone. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, because it, was little... from, because it was from the fourth season, which is where they took the episodes from a half hour to an hour. And so okay. the, the idea really doesn't stretch to like the full length of an hour. No, so, so my mom actually scared the bejesus out of me with the idea of even watching the Twilight Zone, to be completely frank with you. Uh, there were, I think, one or two stories that she told me about, and it just like it put the fear of God in me from watching it. So I just, I never, I've never watched the Twilight Zone because of it. Well, I mean, it, it's on, it's on uh, Paramount Plus. The original? It's all, it's all included, yep. So the two episodes in question that scared the bejesus out of me, and you might know this, uh, the names of them, because you have a freaking encyclopedic memory, for crying out loud. Um, but one had to do with astronauts and drinking tea and, like, the people turning into statues, essentially, in this, like, field or something like that is kind of how she was describing it to me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's from, like, the first season. What's it called? Keep going. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll well yeah. Well, while, while you're while you're recalling the L cars to summon the information for us, the other one had to do with ba- basically um, a baby, an infant in their crib, kind of falling into a, like a different dimension, like through the wall in their room, and like mm-hmm. the parents freaking out trying to find the child. And yeah, that's called think, little girl. That's called little girl lost. There we go. So, like, those two episodes, just my mom, like, telling me those stories, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I think the episode you're thinking of is called Elegy. 
three astronauts touched on an asteroid where they discover a world of people that are frozen in time. That sounds that probably is it, yeah. Yeah. That's a good episode. Both I don't of those know if, epi- both those episodes you mentioned are really good episodes. Okay. And then I mean yeah. like and then the other one's kind of like an honorable mention just because you see like memes of it, gifs of it, and that's freaking William Shatner on an airplane and a gorilla or whatever out the out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nightmare at twenty thousand feet. William yeah. Shatner is actually in another a previous episode of the Twilight Zone that I actually enjoy more than Nightmare at twenty thousand feet. It's called Nick of Time. Mm-hmm. Where essentially they he he and his girlfriend, wife, fiance, whatever she is, they stop off in a small town to get their car fixed and they go to a local diner and there's one of those like machines on the at in the booth that like you put a nickel in it or something and you ask it a question and then you push the button and it spits out a little piece of paper with the answer and basically they become convinced that this thing is telling them the future bill shatner and his what his wife fiance girlfriend whatever she is and like they become like trapped in this booth because according to this machine that they are convinced tells the future if they get up out of the booth they're going to be killed instantly hmm yeah that sounds like a real I don't know mind bender right there just thinking about it yeah it's really good I know Eric is so incredibly excited to talk about based on the title of this episode but, uh, you know, one thing that continues to come up in in more of this current era of Star Trek is this little thing called the Mirror Universe. And you've probably heard our good friend, Lieutenant Commander Eric, speak of his love ad nauseum of the Mirror Universe. And we figured, what the heck? Why not? Let's, let's take a deeper dive into it, so to speak. So... Uh, I was telling Eric, like, yeah, I kind of want to. I want to. Let's talk about this. Let's 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 do this. See where see where it takes us. And he was basically like, all right, essentially, or cool. I don't remember what your exact response was over the text, but um, what are your thoughts sh- about? Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> um, same thing, basically. Uh, so whenever I said this, like, hey, let's let's do this era of the mirror universe what were you thinking man what, were your, what was your reaction to it let's let's start there first well let's be very clear about something here i don't hate the mirror universe as much as <laughs> as much as i it may seem like it with <laughs> the discussions that we have had i don't hate it I, it's fine as a distraction every now and then but it should not be the main focus of Star Trek because I have not devoted 25 plus years of my life to the Mirror Universe and the Terran Empire. I've devoted it to the Federation and the, the Prime Universe, right? In air quotes. Mm-hmm. I want to know what's happening here. I don't want us to yada 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 so to speak our way through what's happening here with the federation to tell a story that's happening in the mirror universe right that should just be a distraction your whole story shouldn't be built around that and that's the problem that i've had 
with Discovery recently, where in season one, the entire story was really not about what was happening here in the Federation with the Klingon War. That was just like a red herring. The true story was, you know, a coup attempt in the mirror universe. That was sure. that was what the main story was about. And to me, that's not as interesting as the war with the Klingons, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. That should have been the primary focus. And then in this last season of Discovery, it just, when we went to the mirror universe, it was like pulling the e-brake on the story, right? The story of the burn. We, like took a two-episode detour and just, like, slammed on that emergency break, and the story just came to a screeching halt. And whatever momentum that it had was lost. So the Mirror Universe is fun. It's a really interesting concept, but I'm more interested in the Federation and our so-called prime characters rather than their mirror universe counterparts. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time that, uh, and we're going to talk about this, first time that I saw um, anything mirror universe, it was the episode Mirror Mirror from the original series. And, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I kind of like Spock with, with a goatee, for crying out loud. Uh, I kind of dig it. Uh, I not mean, that... that- that's an iconic moment, Spock. It really is. It really is. Um, and then we have like the whole like cut off vest thing, like for the uniforms and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I remember really enjoying it. Uh, and but I mean, it was definitely like a head scratcher, like for someone that had never seen really much of anything. I think I might have saw it like in syndication somewhere, like a like a BBC America, Spike TV, something, right um, out there, just like oh cool type of thing but when when we go to discovery you know like the series as a whole they really camp out on the whole uh, mirror universe thing like you're saying like season one it was like such a big deal with the mirror universe and like just the whole narrative and one of the things that i really enjoyed um in the the second chapter of this of the first season was essentially i think it was like saru was saying something like, "We are Starfleet. Uh, we are going. We, we are going to essentially stick to the ideals, keep to the ideals of Starfleet and the Federation um, through this. We are not going to lose our way." Essentially, is what he was saying, and that was like, to me, that was a very good, um, solid moment uh, for Saru and I think the show in general. Just saying, like, look, it might seem dark, it might seem grim, but we're, we're going to be steadfast no matter what, even if it is difficult as heck to do. No, no, absolutely. I mean, that is that is probably one of the biggest standout moments from the first season of Discovery. Mm-hmm. Right? As how, like, Saru is able to rally the crew when they learn that Lorca is this person who's been leading them is not who he said he was. And... And he goes, Discovery is no longer Lorca's. He doesn't, and he doesn't, he doesn't say Discovery is mine. He says Discovery is now your ship, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful moment there. Absolutely, absolutely. But um, with so with the Mirror Universe, like I don't know how many people listening have you know watched 
original series or even watched um, Star Trek Enterprise um, to like even you know get a get a, a feel for it. Uh, maybe not even that. Like you know, um, we'll we'll talk about it in a future episode eventually. But I mean, Deep Space Nine. They spent a they uh, a lot more time than really any of the other series do, uh, except for accepting you know for for Discovery, of course. Uh, like if we're talking about like the pre-Discovery era, they spend a good amount of time there. We'll we'll do an episode on uh, Mirror Universe and Deep Space Nine. But with these other ones, though, uh, we have. Um, Four episodes, three stories of sorts. Kind of, kind of four stories, um, type of thing. Uh, when it comes to this, just depending on how you want to look at it. And what I want to do, and like, like I'm kind of teasing right now, we're going to do eventually another like mirror universe episode as it relates to a specific era of Star Trek uh, to kind of honor what's going on. But when I was talking to Eric about this at one point, um, more or less, I was like, hey, let's let's kind of look at like early Star Trek, like canonically speaking, like timeline wise. And that's going to make us look now at like Star Trek Enterprise and, of course, original series Star Trek. So the episodes in question that we're going to be kind of talking about um, at this point is going to be In a Mirror Darkly Parts 1 and 2. Um, obviously the thing that kickstarted the whole thing, mirror, mirror, and, um, something in there kind of like with an asterisk, 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 the star Ast- thing, asterisk, thank you, is, uh, the Tholian web, which yeah. connects back to in a mirror darkly part one and two. So, um, there's, this is a very wibbly wobbly timey wimey kind of thing. We could start by talking about mirror, mirror. Uh, we could, or we could kind of go back timeline-wise, where, like, with in a mirror darkly, um, it's like a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Let's talk about. Let's just go to the to mirror mirror, the original series episode. Sure. So with mirror mirror, uh, we are looking at uh, what was this? A season two episode, right? Season two episode of the original series, and just like any good old. Um, um, issue when it comes to like time travel or parallel dimensions, we got to have some kind of storm that's wreaking havoc with a good old transporter. Hey, before and, we even get into the episode, can we just say one thing yeah. here about yeah, go for it. the the production? Yeah, go this, for it. This episode is credited to written by Jerome Bixby, is the credited writer, who he adapted this from a short story that he wrote called One Way Street which was just about kind of entering a parallel mirror world. But to maybe bring this full circle, Jerome Bixby is also very well known for writing a short story called It's a Good Life, which was then adapted into one of the best Twilight Zone episodes ever called It's a Good Life, starring Bill Moomy, right, who would um, played Will Robinson on Lost in Space, who played Lanier in Babylon 5, and who appeared in one episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So there's some good connections there to everything that we've been talking about. That's pretty cool. But also, also, um, when Gene Roddenberry was first pitching the idea of Star Trek, you know, he wrote his series Bible or whatever, or at least 
a mm-hmm. book called Star Trek is dot dot dot. And one of the original ideas that he had was called The Mirror, right? In, in his original pitch or book, whatever, it was called The Mirror. So he kind of had this idea right from the very beginning. And originally it was, it was just Kirk being tra- transported over to the Mirror Universe, and the, the people over there weren't necessarily as evil as they ended up being in the final in the final finished product but it's interesting that this was basically something that gene roddenberry conceived of right from the very beginning that is interesting um which i mean when when you think about star trek and and especially like with what gene does i mean it when you think about it, it's really not that surprising just because the whole show is is meant to be like uh what like uh like character studies of like who we are as as human society how we work and function together uh, I mean obviously like you know recognizing differences like our differences aren't really as as much as we make them out to be uh, that we're more alike than we think and it does it's not surprising that with mirror mirror what it's essentially doing is forcing us to take a look at the darker side of human nature the darker sides of who we are and how we reconcile with said darkness with uh morality versus immorality uh peace versus conflict etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't know any thoughts on that eric no i mean i think i think you know with the idea that um you know humanity has sort of evolved in, in, into a like you know um better people like i don't know why the words are escaping me like humanity has moved past its its petty squabbling and and they live their lives in pursuit of like truth goodness beauty and all these just and moral things these virtuous virtuous things it's it's you know it's always interesting to see well how could that have changed right what moments you know could have caused that to change and you know with like there's always like the physics idea of like the many worlds, like the multiverse that's very topical right now in other things that are going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a it's a very good Star Trek idea that you can see, hey, what if we weren't so virtuous? Yeah. You know, you you mentioned the multiverse thing and uh, for for any of the listeners that have been think um, been listening to our book reviews, I mean like freaking Star Trek Coda is all about the multiverse stuff right now. And um, and even in preparing for the book review later this month, um, just a quick little, not really a spoiler, I guess, but there is some mirror type stuff that is in play in the final book. So uh, I think it's it's a good connection of sorts. Now, you, pr- you probably know this um, in your research, but um, I don't know how many listeners would know this, but this episode uh, pretty regularly makes like top five and top ten lists in terms of original Star Trek, and I don't think that that that's that's a mistake at all. This is a very good um, episode. It's very iconic, like you were saying, um, even before the show. Even we, we hit the record button on this. This is just straight up iconic Star Trek at its finest. Like I think if you had to like 
pick up out of, out of a lineup, essentially, like iconic Star Trek, this would definitely be top three, in my opinion. No, I think if you had to pick, like, ten essential episodes, however you deem, however you define the word essential, right? I definitely think this would be one of them. And then mm-hmm. I think if you were, it might even be in the top five, essential, however, I mean, however you might define essential, and I definitely think it it would be in if you were to rank the episodes and the best episodes, it would probably be in the top ten as well, mm-hmm. right? And and I don't think that that's wrong either. I think that this is a fantastic episode, all the way around. I think even for the, um, not not necessarily like the diehard fan, not even maybe like the casual like emerging diehard fan type of thing that this is like the low hanging fruit like boom I'm going I'm going to go to this episode like even if you didn't know anything else I think mirror mirror is going to be like right there for like the low hanging fruit of most recognizable along with um uh man trap for one um city on, city the, on the edge, edge of forever, forever. exactly right. things like that yeah These are. This would definitely make an iconic Star Trek list for sure. Um, Like even in the whole of Star Trek, like if we were to like look the whole of Star Trek, like through across like Next Gen, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, um, even going into like New Era Star Trek, I think this would easily still make it a top ten of iconic through the whole thing. I, I think that's true as well. So. Anyway, this is um, we're we're probably not going to hit every tiny little thing about this episode. If you've seen it and you love it, um, like I said, we just wanted to kind of like talk about the mirror universe and kind of see where it takes us. So um, this is the thing that kicked off all the stuff that we've seen in all the other treks, all the stuff that we've seen in Deep Space Nine. Certainly, all the crap that we've not all the crap. Strike that, reverse it. Certainly all the stuff that we've seen in Star Trek Discovery uh, through its multiple seasons that we've, we've had so far. And who knows how much we're going to see even in like um, potentially the current season as we're currently recording, like with season four. Maybe there's going to be stuff I in season none. five. I hope none. I really, I really want us to pump the brakes on it. And it's not that I don't want to see the Mirror Universe I don't want to be oversaturated with the mirror universe. You know what I'm saying? Like I think that's the problem that I'm trying to to like to say with my dislike of it. It just there's way too much of it. Right. It's it, how much Star Trek can we put in Star Trek type of thing? Like what are people going to recognize? Mirror universe. Great. Okay, what else? Random easter eggs. Great. Let's let's figure out how we can do that. Um no, like if we if we only went to the mirror universe like once every like two or three seasons i could live with that but like this this being like part of the formula of disco i think is going to either make fans of of star trek really 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 happy or it's going to make them very 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 unhappy um and i think it's i don't think there's too much of a middle ground i i could be wrong on that i'm going to shut up so anyway eric um, let's let's go ahead and talk some more about Mirror Universe. I feel like I've gone off off the reservation on this. No, no, keep going. 
So all right, let's let, you know, do a synopsis. Go ahead. No, do you want to? Because you had started before I said, let's do some background. Oh, well, what I was essentially saying is just like any kind of like um, transporter malfunction kind of story type of thing we, we that leads to either time travel or parallel universes or other. Um, this is a transporter malfunction kind of hootenanny that um, sends uh, multiple uh, members of the main cast into this parallel world where it is not this utopian society that we we know of of Star Trek but in fact it is this evil with like not just evil evil like fascist capital E evil war uh, war machine society of the Terran Empire where we have evil mustachioed um vest wearing glittery sash wearing characters um doing terrible awful things uh compared to the more more virtuous ones that we see in the main timeline and that's how we we really draw these distinctions of of the two so um i'm going to throw this back to eric like what were some some like major takeaways or just general observations about mirror mirror that you think really stand out as a story well i mean i think i think there's a few things and and most of the things that jump out to me come from the end of the episode there's these really great conversations um at the end of the episode that both over in the mirror universe with with our kirk and and mirror spock and then back in our own universe with kirk and our spock and and one thing I'm trying to find the whole quote here. Um, he goes he goes. It says this. It's like, um, it says this. Um, How long before the Hulken prediction of a galactic revolt is realized? Spock says approximately 240 years. The inevitable outcome: the empire shall be overthrown. Of course, the logic of waste, Mr. Spock. A waste of lives, potential resources. I submit to you that your empire is illogical because it cannot endure. I submit that you are illogical to be a willing part of it. And I'm just like, everyone thinks about Kirk. We did this this essential Kirk like a year ago. And everyone thinks of Kirk as this space cowboy who's just going to drop kick and, and do his Kirk food. <laughs> but, I mean, think about this. He's trying to appeal to the logic of Spock here, you know? And I just think that's something that gets lost a lot. But that's a really powerful quote. He's like, the logic of waste, waste of lives, potential, resources, and time. I submit to you that your empire is illogical because it cannot endure. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, to, to your point, um, and to add on to that, you know, we, we did talk about that. In fact, it was um, at my kitchen table, if I'm not mistaken, that we had that conversation uh, when we recorded that, and yeah, we we think of of Kirk as the the space cowboy type of thing, but we never really uh, appreciate who he is as Kirk the diplomat. And even in this parallel world where people kill each other for fun, essentially, 
um, because it's like the thing to do. He's still trying to do his best in the midst of this to not be the cowboy, but to, like you said, appease to, to logic in this sense. Um, yeah, and, and then he says, like, Spock says something like, um, I can't find the quote, but he says something like, um, uh, in every revolution, it starts with one man who has a vision. And Spock's like, but I don't have that power. And Kirk says, well, find a way. Find a way to keep control of the Enterprise when I'm gone, right? I've, there's a weapon in my room that will basically disintegrate people that will allow you to keep power. Find a way to keep that power. And Spock's like, well, I'm just one man. What can I do? And I can't change the future. But then Kirk says something like, yeah, you can't change the future, but one person can change the present. Mm. Right? Really powerful lines here. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that w- that's just like such a Star Trek line there, right? That, yeah, maybe you can't change the future, but you can change what you're doing right now, and you can try to work for the thing and try to make things better right now. Forget about how it's necessarily going to happen in the future. Just try and change things for the better right here and right now. Let the future take care of itself. Where have I heard that before? (laughs) (laughs) It just reminds me of um, um, another sci-fi franchise, Back to the Future. Doc Brown talking to Marty um, at the very end of of Back to the Future 3. you know, the future's not written yet. Just make it a good one type of thing. Yeah. And then and then there's one more quote. Those are the quotes that, like, Kirk is having with Mirror Spock. But then when they get back, you know, every episode of the original series basically ends. Kirk is in his captain's chair, and he's got Bones on one side of him and Spock on the other. Spock on the other, yeah. Right. And, and he's kind of, like, turning back and forth, like having their funny little quips back and mm-hmm. forth. And, and here it's like, he goes, Spock, how were you able to, to realize that they didn't belong here as well? And he goes, he goes, uh, what does he say? He says something like, um, well, it was easier for you to fit in with those brutal savages than it was for those savages to fit in here with our sophisticated, um, you know, our sophisticated culture. Right and oh okay here's a quote it's, uh, it says what worries me is that how what worries me is the easy way his counterpart fitted in that other universe oh well that's a different quote sorry this is about how Spock how Spock fit in over there but anyway you know you know the quote at the end Talk of the it. episode right yeah right Spock goes indeed uh, may I point out that I had the opportunity to observe your counterparts quite closely. They were brutal, savage, undisciplined, uncivilized, treacherous. In every way, splendid examples of homo sapiens, the very flower of humanity. I found them quite refreshing. And then Kirk says, (laughs) I'm not sure, but I think we've been insulted. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's just some really good observations coming from, from everybody all the way around toward the end of this episode. Really good philosophical questions about, you know, the nature of, of what one person can do to change the present and uh, yeah. appeal, appealing to logic and about how you know you can pretend to you can pretend to fit in but at the end of the day you're gonna like just go back to being who you are 
Yeah. That's the thing um, that I think is like a pretty darn good message. You know, people people um, say stuff like, you know, I'm I don't feel very good at this. Like, if I don't feel like I'm really good at anything. I feel maybe mediocre at most things, but not great at anything type of thing or um, what whatever, you know, the line might be, perhaps. And just like the, the like bringing it back, right? Like what what do you have like control and influence over, right? Like your choices for crying out loud, like as simple as it is, like make your bed, brush your teeth type of thing. Um, worry about the small stuff before you try focusing on the medium size or big stuff. Um, what's the line? With great power comes great responsibility. Good old Uncle Ben right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously though, like when we 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 want to change the world, we we want to change the direction of things or advocate for people or advocate for change of whatever it might be. But we don't. We don't think about, we don't focus on like the small stuff of what we, we can actually make a difference in. And that's our own life. Like the choices that we make, like at home in our neighborhoods and our communities, that sort of thing. And um, I really like this. I know I'm, maybe I'm kind of going off a little bit with it, but um, it is a very good message because like we are at odds with our own nature. Um, like we, we fight ourselves, whether we admit it or not. Um, constantly of I'm a good person I'm not a good person in fact I was talking about this with one of my clients uh, recently uh, where I did this exercise with them of I don't see myself as as a good person so I get my, my handy dandy notepad out and I'm like okay what makes a good person okay what makes a bad person and we went through this and we ended up somehow talking about like the whole yin yang I'm like, you know, like you might have this darkness inside you, but there's like a little bit of light that's trying to like, that's, that still seems to like drive the darkness away and vice versa. So there's never a complete good. There's never a complete bad. It's just finding balance and it somehow rocked his world. And I, I see uh, mirror mirror being like a yin yang, so to speak, like if this like same idea the same notion that we're kind of getting i feel like i'm rambling but it, i hope i hope it makes some some sense it makes sense to me i, I got you i'm following you you're picking up what i'm laying down i'm definitely picking it up okay are you smelling what i'm stepping in hopefully not <laughs> hopefully you're like whoa hey i saw that and i didn't step in it right right well um do you want to you want to talk about enterprise now, or do you want to still talk about um, mirror mirror some more? Well, I mean, I gotta say, um, there are some things, other things in this episode that are interesting. I mean, I guess the agonizer booth is is one of the thing iconic things that had come from this episode, where you're just in like a little glass tube and it mm-hmm. can like stimulate the different pain sensors in your body, and it's their way of torture. That's something I think. That I don't know if it's one of the most iconic things, but it is something that, you know, people remember from Star Trek is these agonizer booths. Right, and it certainly carries over into Discovery, in obviously. Big, in a big way. 
in a very big way, which it's not that surprising when you think about it, just because in show timeline wise, Discovery takes place 10 years prior to 10 ish years prior to the original series. So it's going to make sense that like some of the same, the story points are going to points are going to have like that, that overlap in terms of usage. So yay. 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 Agonizer booths. And then, and I guess the other thing that will help lead us into our enterprise discussion is the captain's woman. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. Like, what is the captain's woman? <laughs> Why don't other captains have a woman? That is a great, great point. <laughs> this is a this is a this is a family show. <laughs> so I don't know how much we can talk about that. Just read between the lines, everyone. What what is the purpose of this captain's woman? It's for companionship, Eric. Yes, that is what it is for. Companionship. You know, <laughs> while they're they're on their five year conquest five year missions. Conquest missions in deep space. You, you just you need a companion. For the Empire. You you need one. I mean the Empire doesn't want you, you know, going, sojourning, exploring, you know, places to conquer without, you know, a friend. Computer, play Golden Girls theme song. There we go. <laughs> Can you imagine that freaking Terran Empire? They're they're you know they're just like being evil with a capital E, and like the, the way that they wind down as a ship when they're not trying to kill each other or agonize one another is they turn on you know old historical documents and they watch Golden Girls together. Can you imagine that? Yeah, let's play the historical documents. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. <laughs> so let's yeah let's let's talk about the captain's woman by by talking about a different episode. So, in a mirror darkly, two part episode from um, Star Trek Enterprise. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but You're that wrong. is a biblical reference, isn't it? It is. Okay. Yep. Can it's, you um, explain that? It's from the from a Pauline epistle, if I'm not mistaken. Um, looking in a mirror darkly, it's um, essentially talking about like uh, looking. Oh, hold on. Okay. So this is from from any anyone that knows um, or wants to know, cares to know. Um, so this is from uh, the from First Corinthians uh, chapter thirteen verses verse twelve actually. Um, and I'm just gonna uh, I'll say this. Okay, New King James version. Sorry. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So let me. So that's essentially where it comes from, like the King James and the New King James versions of the Bible. Because because I'm familiar with the title. There's a Ingmar Bergman movie called Through a Glass Darkly, and and I know in my research of that movie, it's essentially the same. You know, in a mirror darkly and through a glass darkly. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, 
it was very is it very religious the whole it's part of like a whole trilogy of religious films that Ingmar Bergman made um, in the late 50s and early 60s really sure. good movie right through a glass darkly there's um, there's a translation that I use um, as like um, what is it kind of like for for studying and like uh, not really studying but like just like devotional type stuff from time to time and um, it's from the New Living Translation this might help have that particular passage make some sense to, to some people and it's uh, New Living Translation. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. What I believe Paul is trying to say, the, the writer of this particular letter to the Corinthians, is saying like we, we have an imperfect understanding of ourself and our nature. And there will come a time through, in this case, like what he's talking about from a biblical worldview, um, through our relationship and our, the transformative experience um, with God is that we will have a greater understanding, not just of who I am, but through knowing him, many more things, essentially. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's this, what, what it's getting at is just like this, um, partial knowing of ourself, like this this hidden part that we don't really know or or have access to, which I think is where a lot of this mirror stuff um, is coming from, um, specifically like with in a mirror darkly, and of course with mirror mirror and all the subsequent stuff too. Like there are these natures of us that are lost, that are hidden, that are completely unknown to us that uh, we are now discovering as a result of these episodes. Um. I gotta say, with with in a mirror darkly, um, I've talked, I've, I've mentioned this, ooh, I don't know how many times, but I I had the chance uh, years and years ago to go to Star Trek: The Experience, and I got to do the um, History of the Future tour, a special tour, or whatever, uh, through the exhibit, through the attraction, whatever it was called, and so you saw the evolution of like the tech and the clothing and stuff like that, and it was really cool. One of the, um, I guess they would be considered like a docent or a curator or something, much like a regular museum would have. Whenever we were on this like tour and talking about the behind the scenes thing, they um, they talked about how they had like Zephram, so um, Zephram, Co- Zephram Cochran's um, costume, right? That was on display there, and. Um, uh, James Cromwell, I believe his name. Yeah, James Cromwell. Um, he was called back to, like, super secretly, to do this uh, filming for In a Mirror Darkly, the opening. And, like, it was, like, very hush-hush, like, why did the costume disappear? Why did some of this stuff disappear? Well, they used the actual costume that he wore in first contact, like, the actual one that was actually on display from like 1996 and rewore it like the exact one for the filming of that opening scene which I thought was kind of cool just a fun little factoid and then it was returned later on after production ended so it's kind of cool that it got like a little bit of extra use both in a feature and you know a televised episode 
no, it's a really cool opening to this episode. You're at first, you're like, "What's going on? What like what? It, like this is, this is a rerun of First Contact? Contact. What's going on? What's going on?" And then you know the Vulcan does his little V hand thing, and and James Cromwell, like, pulls into his jacket and pulls out a gun and shoots him. You're like, "What is happening here? Like, storm <laughs> the ship, take all the stuff." <laughs> You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've wondered about, like, some of that stuff at times. Like, look, like, relations with the Vulcans were already, like, super tense in the Enterprise era. And can you just imagine how much more difficult that was? Like, like with technology. I mean, they were, like, the Vulcans were already, like, sharing technology with us, like, slowly. It was like a trickle of technology sharing. But, like... Seriously, like, we still managed to develop, like, warp technology and, you know, go be spacefaring, you know, beyond this first warp flight. I mean, I don't know. If I think about it too hard, it makes my brain hurt. But yeah. um, but then, man, maybe the best thing about this entire episode, like, after we get that cool opening teaser, is the main credit redesign for this is so awesome. Like, so awesome. Yeah, Eric and I were were listening to it and watching it uh, prior to uh, to sitting down to have this conversation for all y'all. And I was saying to Eric, I'm like, man, like the producers, like they just gave like so much like leeway and had enough, uh, I guess, foresight of sorts to allow uh, for a complete overhaul of, of the opening credits just for this one episode or two episodes technically. But, but still, like, th- like I mean, there's stuff in this. I mean, of course, it's like probably like stock video, so it's really not that big of a deal. But there's like one in particular in this where you have the, the, the Terran um, Empire flag that's being planted on the moon in essentially a Star Trek Enterprise era um, EV suit is what it kind of looked like. Mm-hmm. So like the, just the fact that they, they used budget they used resources just to craft that little what two second thing three second thing i mean i gotta i gotta give some some kudos to that oh yeah yeah i mean it it, it totally sets the tone for what you're about to see the teaser and then this this opening credits it's so and the like say what you will about where my heart will take me did you like it did you not like that's a discussion that we can have another time like the music that they used here too, it just has such a it fits perfect with the imagery that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And and I know you love your Star Trek music and Star Trek music is iconic, especially opening intros. And this is just I don't know if this is iconic, like in like regards to like the next generation theme or the original series theme, but this is this is this is this is a, this is really good. Really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just looking at like some of the the new credits, like some of the stuff that I um, came across. So, um, so here here's something. I don't know if you knew this, but the um, I believe it was was it Brandon Braga was um, talking about like the possibility of creating um, different opening titles for different episodes, um, which was like um, a lot of the discussion like amongst like different Star Trek writers and. Um, Anyways, he had at one point suggested an alternate uh, sequence for Next Gen, uh, which never came to pass. And 
Um, same thing for um, Trials and Tribulations, which was the anniversary episode. Um, you know, for like the 30th anniversary of Star Trek back in the day. Um, but it never got to go too much further uh, with it. Um, yeah, and so you know, they did it. They did it in Discovery for the one episode, and I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't think it really was all that effective. Like they just used mm-hmm. like the reverse exposure or whatever. Mm-hmm. The um, there were what was it? So there were clippings from a World War One fighter aircraft, a World War Two. American troops that were marching into Paris, um, atomic bomb exploding, aerial carpet bombing, submarine firing a torpedo, a different moon landing, a T-62 tank, an F-15 Eagle, destruction of a Klingon bird of play, a prey, and a battle between Enterprise and the Zindi. Um, also, I didn't know this, by the way, but apparently the alternate credits also included scenes from different uh, Paramount uh media uh, properties um, such as the show Call to Glory, the 1927 silent World War I film Wings and um, 1990 uh, feature film Hunt for Red October which I, I kind of recognize that if I'm not mistaken. There was something from the Hunt for Red October in here? Yeah. Hmm. I guess I didn't catch that. Yeah. Uh, the image of a Boeing B-1B Lancer seen in one of the, the three, these three shots was used at the start of the 2000 film The Jacket and um, the um, image of an energy weapon blasting through a building was repurposed from the Star Trek Voyager sixth season episode, Dragon's Teeth. I did so, know that, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff going on. Um, the, oh, just a lot, there's a lot of stuff on this. Um, a, lot, a lot of cool things. Um, anyway, all right. Well, we can keep on going. Anyway, and then and then you know, in all of our mirror universe episodes, like because like continuity, like in in universe chronology, this comes basically first, but it comes last, you know, for a long time, right? Of the stuff mm-hmm. that we are seeing in our world, but in all of 100%. the mirror universe that we've seen, it's essentially somebody from our universe going over to the mirror universe and trying to fit in in a, in a way but this is like not that at all this is like no full mirror <laughs> no. universe counterparts we don't even see our prime universe characters it's just completely set over in the mirror universe and i can tell i feel like the actors were having a really fun time with this oh and and like you know we criticized like um some of the discovery actors for like really hamming it up like i i mean i don't feel like they're doing that here i don't feel like any of our main cast are like overly hamming it up in these scenes but i can tell they're having a lot of fun i think the only one that i think is going to come close to hamming it and it, it breaks my heart to even say this is is um linda parks hoshi to me I mean, we'll, we'll talk about her, right? Because we mentioned the captain's woman, right? Yeah, we we can talk about we can talk about Hoshi later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Um. But yeah, so this okay, so we can kind of do like um maybe like 
we can like kind of double dip with this episode just because we have like obviously like the connection with original series with the Tholian web um, in terms of like when this episode in particular is set uh, knowing that the defiant has kind of disappeared and this episode kind of explains where it disappeared to basically and all the not really mustachioed but just the 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 mirror universe enterprise crew and um, an admiral of sorts uh, trying to take over this ship and do it for the glory of the Terran Empire essentially um, yeah um, and in this episode we I, I found this interesting um, that I can't remember maybe another instance and if I'm completely spacing then you obviously you're going to correct me but just the fact that we have the mirror universe people saying like oh this sounds like a pretty good dude or like a pretty stellar guy like with like mirror archer is reading about like his actual prime universe counterpart and like trying to get intel on the ship and and just the the folks in general um i just thought that was really cool um, I really well, enjoyed that I, I that aspect he, of the story. I thought he said, "Well, he was reading like the biography." He was of, of yeah. his prime universe. He said he was saying, "There's nothing great about this man. He didn't win any victories or win any battles, and people are only great because like they can bring glory to the empire." And this man was an explorer and a politician, and and I I hate that person. Right, and that and that's I guess that's what I was trying to say is that um, in reading that stuff I really enjoyed that be- okay. just because like you had like that juxtaposition of the characters right of of like how they were using like databases to try and understand like what this other world is all about and what this ship is about and like how to gain some leverage so they can get back and do whatever they're going to do type of thing um, right okay sure so that was that was a tangent sorry about that Eric no no but um, so fourth season episode. This is a fourth season episode of um, Star Trek Enterprise. Um, so it's definitely towards the end of the run. It is in the end of the run for crying out loud. And I um, thought I thought I had read somewhere. Uh, I, I not recently, but I thought I'd read somewhere years ago that it was during the filming of this episode that the cast learned the show had been canceled. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. may have been why they were having more fun with it, because they knew that it was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, we're not we're not gonna talk about the series finale here. No. Nope. Um. So with this um, aboard, so we're we're talking about the ISS um, Enterprise in this, um, and it's uh, what Reed and Flocks um, and. Man, Phlox just like creeps the heck out of me in the mirror universe, man. Yeah, he's like, why shouldn't I enjoy my work as he develops better techniques to torture people with the agonizer mm-hmm. boots? Mm-hmm. And Forrest being the captain um, yeah. of of it, and Archer being the, the the number one, being the first officer, and of course, like you have like the whole like let's let's kill him so we can take over, you know, mutiny type of stuff. Um, because it's all about power and how much power you can have. And this is just, 
I, I don't know if it's much. It's not really much of like a, a character study, like we were like spending a lot of time on in terms of like the the nature of who we are and like you know going back and forth type of thing, like we did with Mirror Mirror. Um, this was just like straight up like trying to explain and just have fun with like the Enterprise from the Tholian web, or not the Enterprise, the Defiant from the Tholian web. Um, same class of ship and everything. Yeah, it's not it's not as philosophical as as the original Mirror Mirror episode. No, this is just a fun episode of just yeah. being evil. Yeah, and twirling our fake mustaches. Not really much of it in terms of facial hair, which no, was kind of no. disappointing. Yeah, it was kind of disappointing. Like, <laughs> hey, can you at least put on like a fake goatee, right? Like, wouldn't it have been something if, like, you know, Archer had, like, a soul patch or something? Like, I could see him being <laughs> evil with a soul patch. <laughs> you know you know who did become really evil, though, is Porthos. Oh. Right? You know, Porthos is normally mm-hmm. a cute little beagle who is so happy, but he's like a Rottweiler or something in this episode. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> like, and he's, like, a mean Rottweiler, too. Now, okay, hold on. Hold on, I, just for the dog lovers out there. No, no, I'm not saying all Rottweilers are mean. That's that's not that's what I'm not, saying. And that's what I wanted to make I'm make sure we were 100 percent clear. They on. are sometimes called aggressive breeds, right? They get right. classified are, into that category. Right. We can have our preferred dogs, cats, breeds, whatever. We are not saying there are bad, evil dogs. For they're all the only, pet lovers they're only bad owners. Come on, somebody. Let's go. Let's <laughs> no go. bad dogs, just bad owners. There we go. So now that we've said that, let's keep going. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so basically, we're, yeah, we're explaining the Tholian Web episode, and the, the ISS Enterprise gets destroyed at the end of the first episode, at the end of part one. And Archer and his team are essentially left stranded on the USS Defiant, not Cisco's yes. Defiant, but a Defiant from before that. Right. Right, which was, if I'm not mistaken, it was actually stated USS Defiant in Tholian Web. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is way, way, way before yeah, the a, Defiant. It's a, a Constitution-class ship, the exact it same is. ship design as the NCC-1701. Right. Um, got got to reuse those models, baby. Got to yep. reuse them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's like the the original show had no budget. It was t- especially by the third season, the budget was tiny, <laughs> so mm-hmm. they had to just reuse the same model for both ships. So we we have the so we have T'Pol in this in this episode, who is. Um, Wearing a uh, uniform that is not Vulcan, um, with some major midriff type stuff going on. Yeah, just like Uhura in in the mm-hmm. Mirror Mirror episode, some major midriff going on. Major midriff going on. Um, with at one point she has what an armed uh, Vulcan. Uh, party with her essentially um, yeah mm-hmm. with, with trying to to take over the ship and and 
do other things with the ship, essentially. Um, which she ends up, you know, being successful in rescuing, um, uh, rescuing Forrest, essentially, from, um, from the brig in terms of, like, I think it's part two of, of um, Intermere Darkly, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And in being able to ultimately, you know, retake command from the bridge, which Archer had had um, forcibly done, essentially. So it was this was his scheme to to gain power, to become a captain, to gain glory, and you know, further the war machine of the Terran Empire. Essentially. Yeah, because they were they were fighting a rebellion, insurrection, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, and we're using like future technology they could quash the rebellion and if he was the person that found it he would grant him a lot of power right and thinking that this ship which that this ship is going to be like the thing that's going to usher in like basically a new chapter for the empire I mean think about it if you took modern military technology back to world war one how how much destruction could you rain down but like a lot. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm going to ask the dumb question. But like how much but really how much more advanced is it though? Right? Like if they're if I mean, I don't well, know. I mean, I mean, you just have to think about like you know, weapons tech, not just necessarily weapons technology, but shield technology. Right? The Enterprise, the NX01 has very little just, it doesn't have shields. It's just right? polarizing the plate. Yeah. yeah, and so we have shields like the 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 phase the phase cannons on the NX01 probably wouldn't even harm the shields of this Defiant. Mm-hmm. So I mean, just from that perspective, I don't. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, okay, yes. Like we are in 2021 at the time of this recording, so yes, things have changed a lot since 1921. Um, not a lot, but a lot at the same time. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I guess like, yes, there's yes, there's shields. Yes, there are more uh, more advanced like maybe phaser banks and. Um, torpedoes and stuff like that 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 they have at their disposal. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just gonna, maybe I'm just confusing myself and and stuff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But yes, um, the Defiant would be this wonderful new toy for the Empire to go conquer um, other species, other planets, and to further the Empire. Which I just don't get. Like I can understand. Maybe I'm not supposed to think about this, Eric. This is probably one of those things. It's like just pay just no attention it. to the man behind the curtain type of thing. Yeah. You know. You know what I'm saying? But like, okay, the Federation and Starfleet. I can understand that. Okay. Like, bold to go where no man's gone before. No, where no one's gone before. Right. Like exploration and you know new lives, new civilization, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, where we want people to come join the party. We want to pool our resources together, be this utopian society, peaceful, diplomatic, blah, blah, blah. I get that. I just have a hard time understanding how you advance the Terran Empire. Like, how you get people to get on board with the Empire. Because otherwise, you're just going to have another star something thing going on. 
and people are going to eventually just have an uprising and say, screw you guys, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, I think that's the whole idea of every time we talk about the mirror universe, the Terran Empire, there's some type of rebellion, right? They're, they're trying to quash some type of rebellion, right? We see it here in this episode. We see it in, um, the, in Discovery with that storyline and the Firefox, I guess is what they call um, mm. Vogue, right? Over there, he's still Vogue. Mm-hmm. He's leading, he's leading a rebellion against them. And in this episode, we see T'Pol tries to put together a rebellion of sorts. She gets uh, Saval and, and some other people to try to, to like stop Archer, in a sense, from using this technology to quash the rebellion. And, I mean, if all you ever do is try to subjugate people, we've seen that throughout history that people humans don't like to be subjugated right and no they don't and i guess and i guess that is i guess part of the message here is that you know if you you know if your only goal is tyranny and oppression right that won't stand and i think that might be one of the star trek ideals that you can look into from this episode, where it's not just a fun adventure action romp there's there is some type of message in there yeah, there, there should be one, right? Right. Even if it's not like noticeable. See, it's this kind of discussion that brings it out. See, right. Mm-hmm. Look at us. Look at us living out Gene Roddenberry's vision. Goodness. Uh, but yeah, like that. That was just the thing. Like, it, 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 there, you need people to buy into whatever it is that you're selling for you to advance your kingdom, your empire, your your country, your your you know, budding country or organization, whatever it is. And like, that's the thing, like how could people be that bloodthirsty to where they're like, yeah, I just want to kill some more people and like, just do that all the live long day. Or yeah, I just want to torture some people (laughs) type of thing. Like it just doesn't, but yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to just keep going around circles with it. It's supposed to be like, Hey, there's like the devil inside of us all that we, you know, we have to um, try and overcome. I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something with that idea. From a message standpoint, yes. I'm thinking from, like, advancing the Terran Empire standpoint. Like, I'm still kind of stuck on that. But oh, okay, yeah. But, yeah, like, it doesn't matter. I don't know if we're supposed to read too much into that. It's like, they exist, right? But... As we said in the mirror in the mirror mirror episode, it's inevitable that it will collapse, and so mm-hmm. in, in in its in its existence, it is illogical. But yeah, and uh, but yet somehow it continues to pop back up, or it's fractured and continues well, to I still mean, exist. I mean, I, we don't want to get into it uh, too much, but by the time we revisit the mirror universe in '90s Trek things have changed just a wee bit yeah just a wee bit yeah okay but so yeah we we have the characters um much like we have in mirror mirror um having these dark twisted versions of themselves um so where we have the jovial socially gregarious freaking dr Phlox. he is a sadistic evil like 
person uh, of a doctor um, that's like all about torturing and he's like you know, a sp- Joseph Mengele type or type yeah character. man yeah man like straight up evil and um, maybe I should rename this episode evil part one or something evil like that evil with a capital E and four E's in there evil <laughs> <laughs> that's the subtitle I think <laughs> Evil with a capital E, part one. <laughs> um, yeah, and and freaking Reed, and we have Archer with his crew cut, um, to Paul with her long hair and her midriff, and Hoshi. And Hoshi, yep. But even before that, like they all, when they're stranded on the Defiant, they put on the original series uniforms. Right, so mm-hmm. it's it's fun to see them in those, and Archer is wearing the gold tunic, and then here you see Topal puts on the little scant right, D- like dress from the from the original series, and they're all mm-hmm. wearing all those. It, that was that was fun to see. I thought. Would you have preferred, like, I mean, I mean, I, I know it's like way too early, but would you have liked the um, the uniforms? to to have like been more like that like the whole you know jumper type of thing like the the original series you know yellow gold or sorry the sorry the gold the blue and the red well i really like the enterprise jumpsuits cuz oh, it's it's, I it's do so too. it's so it's so military and submarine and it i think it just fits with the whole vibe that the show was going for and i think oh yeah by the time it gets to be 100 years later you know, Starfleet is established, and it's not as much of a military organization. And and you know, the the, the NCC one seven hundred one is a much bigger ship than the NX one, so it doesn't mm-hmm. have that submarine vibe to it. So I think just yeah. times have changed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that we had. Um, had the Enterprise crew wearing the the tunics and everything. That was pretty cool. Which you have a tunic, by the way. I do. You I have an original science, series tunic. Original series science blue. Yeah, you do. I need. I still I've got the pants. I've got the pants too. All right. Right. You just need to get the floor shine boots, and you're good to go. Well, I mean, but like the original series doesn't use like the low. They got to get like knee high boots. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah, you yeah. do, because the pants only only go just below the knees. They're like knickers. Yeah, yeah, they kind of <laughs> are. <laughs> kind of like knickers. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. I'll, I'll let's talk about let's talk about Hoshi here, because I have you, I want I just want to talk about Hoshi here. Eric wants to talk about Hoshi. Everyone. <laughs> I know. I like listen, listen. Linda Park, Ensign, Ho- Ensign Hoshi Sado. Along mm-hmm. with uh, Anthony Montgomery as Ensign Travis Mayweather, were done a great disservice in Star Trek Enterprise. Neither mm-hmm. one of their characters was really all that developed. There were a couple of episodes that revolved around each of them, but really, really underused characters, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, Linda Park gets I gets a chance to like shine in this episode first boy does she's, she she's the captain's woman at you know f- to captain forest right and then she becomes the captain's woman to to archer 
and when he becomes captain but she's she's really just plotting behind his back the whole time she tries to kill him straight up with a knife at one point (laughs) (laughs) before she before she then poisons him at the end and takes command of the ship and she's putting the hoe back in Hoshi. Right? Ooh, that was a bad joke, wasn't yeah. it? Chase? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Eric? You there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Cool. All right. Right. I said Hoshi putting the hoe in Hoshi, right? <laughs> no, and then and then you know she she takes over the ship with with uh, I don't think it's Ensign Mayweather, but in this Mayweather is like he's a security guard, uh, right? And so like they've plotted to take over the ship, and she comes out and she's like, uh, "Prepare for Empress Sato to take command." And it's supposed to be like a, I, I think it's supposed to be like an empowering moment. Like, oh, here we now have this woman that's going to take charge. But like, I wonder if this one, I mean, you were even talking about it earlier. Can this, is this one ship enough for her to like take over the empire? I mean, you also mentioned that this is way more advanced. I mean, like, I know, look, we're talking still, like a hundred uh, years advanced. It's still just one ship, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, with yeah, but then, I mean, it could become come like the flagship, right, for the Empress now. Yeah, and like I, I, I have one more problem here. I don't know if it's a problem, but an issue. Okay. Okay. So. Canonically, in universe, this is ten years before uh, the original series. Something somewhere around then. Something like that. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, how long do you think uh, this is? This is what like Discovery has made me think. How long do you think Philippa Giorgio was the emperor? Of the mirror universe, like oh, you're saying Discovery was is ten years before? Or are you talking yeah, about yeah, this Disco- episode is ten well, years Discovery before? Discovery is ten years before the original right. series. Yes, it is. Yeah, and so so this episode is taking place ten years after that, right? Maybe maybe it's not a continuity issue. I was just thinking, like, would she be trying to fight Emperor Emperor Giorgio for control? But I think oh, not. I think nice. not. I think not because this is taking place. The Tholian Web episode takes place after George ten years o. after. Ten years after that. Okay. All right. Then yeah. it's, it's not an issue because I was thinking. Wait, wait. Is she gonna try to fight George O here? Like, does she need to go find Lorca to join his his rebellion? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but yeah, this would have been after that, wouldn't it? That would. Yeah. So like, we don't know what yeah. would have what happened after Giorgio left, right? Because she killed all of her her like counselors, right? She did, yeah. Yeah. Good grief. That hurts my brain to think about, man. <laughs> I know. Oh, good grief. But like, you know, um you have I, I, I enjoyed this too. Um, look, y'all, it's like in like the first few chapters of this book, too. But um, they mention in, um, again, Oblivion's Gate, um, the third book in Star Trek Coda, um, Empress Sato III. Um, they, they name drop Empress Sato III in, um, in Oblivion's Gate, which I really, I really like that callback. Because I remember when, I think it was when, Dis- when Discovery first came out, I was thinking like, man, it'd be great if we could see like a descendant or something of of Empress Sato, right? Like we were first introduced to. Um, wouldn't that be something to to actually see something like that? And I was like, oh, maybe we'll maybe we'll see Hoshi. But then like my, my dumb self is like, no, no, no. This is like about a hundred years after the fact, Chase. Like, no, not gonna happen. She's not right. Vulcan. But like, I would have loved to have seen that. I mean, Empress if they could have like done like a, the third, so yeah, like she she took she did take over according to that, and she established a dynasty. Right now, whether, I mean, like, look, you know, like popes and queens and kings, you know, they right, they, they take pick, a re, they take a regnal name, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it could have been like like the the regular person in like the Terran Empire's name, real name could have been like. Betty Smith, yeah, mm-hmm. or something like that, you know. <laughs> That's a really like <laughs> generic name. <laughs> Hi, I'm Betty Smith. There are ten million people in the world with my name. <laughs> so my now my my new name henceforth shall be known as <laughs> Empressato the second. Uh, yeah, Empressato the third, right? <laughs> Betty Smith. I don't know where I come up with this crap, man. <laughs> well, it was probably because of Betty White, right? Because we were talking about the Golden Girls earlier. And Thank then you for you being just a needed, friend, Eric. And then you just needed a generic last name. Probably the most common <laughs> last name out there. <laughs> along with the Thank colors. you for being a friend. Yes. <laughs> oh. But yeah, and the, and the episode um, with, with its ending um like how yeah how she she kills everyone and she's like right there in bed like um what was it long live um she didn't say long live the queen or no no she said like she said uh uh prepare is that what it was prepare for empress sato i just i think she said i don't think she said anything more than that i thought she it doesn't matter it doesn't matter um but overall, I, I I really like this episode. Just like with with the shenanigans, and again, like an opportunity to, um, I, I guess even with the biography, you know that that Archer's like looking at, like from the from the database, like who, who like his real his um, prime universe um, counterpart is, um, the decisions that we make, the life that we choose to live, um, the paths that we can go down, 
and what that means for who we are as a person, who it helps shape us to be, to become, um, I think is another good message that Star Trek, that this particular episode of Star Trek, whether you love it or hate it, um, Star Trek Enterprise, just a good message um, to, to look to um, in terms of like, even like bringing it back to the inspiration for this, the name of this episode, um, like not the, the not fully knowing, the not fully recognizing um, of something. Um, good, good parallel. So, okay. anyway. Oh, here's what she says. He says, you are speaking with Empress Sato. Prepare to receive instructions. Okay. That's what she says. And Archer said, great men are not peacekeepers. Great men are conquerors. Just to get the quote right of what we were talking mm. about earlier. Okay. Very good. So, um, anything else that you want to talk about? No, I mean, I mean, listen, this is a, this is a really fun, a fun bit of Star Trek, this bit here with the Mirror Universe, you know, really, truly iconic and great original series episode, really good and philosophical, and then, um, this In a Mirror Darkly is just a fun action-adventure romp. Yeah. And... This, if if I'm not, if I'm being honest, like In a Mirror Darkly, it's probably not in my top ten. I'm sorry, it's not my top five of um, of Enterprise. It's probably it might be in my top ten, maybe. Um, I enjoy this episode, uh, but it's not one that like if I have like 45 minutes to an hour to kill, like this isn't probably or even two hours to kill, this probably isn't like one that I'm just going to go straight to. Okay. Um, That's fair. For me personally, I, I enjoy it, but it's not it's not there for me. Um, like, I love like the Augment stuff. I love the Zindi. Believe it or not, I do like, I love the, the Zindi stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there, I, I have like some of my insufferable episodes, which I will not talk about right now. Um, but I do, I do like Enterprise. Um, I, I don't think Enterprise gets enough love. Um, and even like for people that are brand new to Star Trek, you should really give original series a shot, a fair shakedown, regardless of how campy it is, how bright it is. Like try and like move past like the 60s era of television and just watch it. It's the thing that spawned all this stuff. And I, th- I, I guarantee you, once you sit down and watch it, you're going you're gonna to like it more than you think you will. Oh yeah, it's it's really good. Like, there's a reason why it spawned such a big franchise and why it still resonates with people today. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. We wouldn't be here talking about about this. We wouldn't be here talking together if it wasn't for the original series. So there's something about it that's inherently good. Right. And the thing, the thing that um, that I think is important when we talk about the mirror universe, and I think we kind of teased it, kind of talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but there, there should be a message to the stories that we are experiencing um, of, of Star Trek, regardless of the era that we're watching it in, that it shouldn't just be about gratuitous violence for the sake of gratuitous violence and pain and 
whatever. There should be um, like some kind of like moral to the story that we're that we're engaged in, and like a, a takeaway. And um, I think when it's done right, there can be wonderful, powerful takeaways from it. And I think, in my opinion, Mirror Mirror and In a Mirror Darkly Parts One and Two do a great job of that in the grand scheme of things. Um, but if we focus just on violence for violence sake, eh, it's kind of problematic. And we're not really taking the opportunity to learn, to gain, to grow, to whatever from something. And that's not, not, that's not me um, disparaging any f- other like mirror universe episode in general. I'm leaving that up to you. Again, not a gatekeeper. I'm not telling you what to like and what not to like. Just my two cents. So anything else you want to add, Eric? Oh, well, I was just trying to see if, like, IMDb used to do this where you could, it could like, sort all the episodes um, in their ranking. So I was trying to kind of see where did this, um, where did this end up in the rank episode rankings? Oh, okay. Right? Um, I mean, it's got to, I mean... Um, it, Mirror Mirror has a rating, rating of 9.1 on IMDb, which is fantastic. It's, it's got to be one of the highest rated. Um, and then In a Mirror Darkly, parts 1 and 2, they each have an 8.5 rating. Wow. Both really high. Both really high. Yeah. I think that 8.5 right. is a little high. I, I probably don't think I'd rate, rate it that high, but I think the 9.1 is probably really deserved. Sure. So before we we get out of here, we have to take care of some more business. And that, of course, is a Twitter poll. So Eric, I polled the people of the Twitter with the following inquiry. You ready for this? Yes, I am. All right. So which of the following would you most like to see a mirror universe version of. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny. Okay. Well, listen. Um, the idea of a mirror universe Santa Claus reminds me of the Weird Al song. Right? Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard the it. The night Santa went crazy. Like oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas to all. Now you're all gonna die. The night Santa went crazy. The night Saint Nick went insane. Realized he'd been getting the wrong deal. So finally, must have snapped in here. <laughs> <laughs> the night Santa went crazy. The night Saint Nicholas flipped. <laughs> Realized he was getting a raw deal, so something finally must have snapped in his brain. <laughs> so it was Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and what else? The Tooth Fairy. Tooth Fairy. I mean, which one would I most like to see? Which one would I be the most terrified of? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I don't know. Like, which one would you most like to see? 
Like, is the one is would you most like to see it because it is the most terrifying, or would you most like to see it because it's in a sense the least terrifying because you wouldn't need to run away as much, right? Oh yeah, I can. I'll see, see that one because I'm not as terrified of it. Sure. Right. I mean, man, there could be some scary rabbit bunny things. I think we've seen some some I of know. those in in TV and movies. Um, like some Donnie Darko action. <laughs> yeah, that's going what on. I was thinking of too. Um, like the tooth, <laughs> just the idea of like the tooth fairy of like, what does the evil mirror universe tooth fairy do? Like yank out your teeth in the middle of the night? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. That sounds painful. Ugh. And doesn't give you money. Yeah, and, for ta- and takes your, your money, takes your money away from you. Takes your money and takes your teeth. Leaves you toothless. <laughs> oh, can you imagine that? Uh. I mean, oh, that's terrifying. Like, which one would I most like to see? Ooh, 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 just to add, just to add more to the tooth fairy. Not only does the tooth fairy in the mirror universe pull your teeth out and takes your money, but also sews your mouth shut. That, that, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I, I don't want to answer this question. <laughs> I, just tell me the results. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With 9.1% of the vote, we got the Easter Bunny in last place. Okay. All right. With 27.3% of the vote, we have the Tooth Fairy. Okay. Which leaves... Good old Saint Nick, good old Santa Claus with 63.6% of the vote. Okay. I mean, I, I just kind of figured that would be the answer, but I wasn't sure. Well, there you go. Yeah, I can just imagine him um, kind of like uh, like he has like a like his like Santa suit, but you know, instead of like it with like white fur trim, maybe it's like black or it's like lined with like like bones or something like that and it's like cut off or whatever instead of like a like a long beard maybe he's got like a goatee and like a crew cut or something like that and um, instead of leaving presents maybe it's like he nukes houses or or bombs houses yeah. or, or leaves like bombs under trees or something like that I don't it's know definitely like he got Dasher and Dancer with an old German Luger, and he picked up a flamethrower, and he barbecued Blitzen, and he took a big bite and said it tastes just like chicken. <laughs> Some good classic oh, 90s Weird Al. There we go. I miss that yeah. kind of stuff. Well, Eric, thank you for, for exploring the Mirror Universe with me um, and having um, kind of like a, a, a survey of sorts discussion with it. Um. For everyone else in the land of the listener, I hope you enjoyed our, our little discussion of the Mirror Universe and um, just kind of unpacking it, at least from like an early Star Trek kind of standpoint, like canonically timeline speaking, basically. Uh, what did you think? What, what are your thoughts on the Mirror Universe in terms of like these episodes when it comes to um, like Mirror Mirror, Intermirror Darkly, even the Tholian Web, which kind of has it, that's, that connection with um, Intermirror Darkly Parts 1 and 2? We'd love to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your opinions, uh, maybe even which one you saw first. Did you see Mirror Mirror first? Did you see Enemy Mirror Darkly first? Or Tholian Webb or whatever. Have you never seen Star Trek at all? 
please tell us. We want to know these things so that we can haunt you in your dreams with a mirror Santa Claus. Because why not? Or a mirror tooth fairy. We will send the mirror tooth fairy after you if you don't tell us. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's a thing. Don't worry. It's a thing. Um, I'll, we'll make sure they don't sew your mouth shut. That's, that's nightmare fuel right there. Sorry, y'all. Anyway, let us know. <laughs> uh, connect with us on the web, trtvpod.com. Um, you can uh, learn more about us there. Find out ways to support the show. Help build the show for crying out loud. Tell your friends um, about it. Tell your Star Trek friends, your non-Star Trek fans. Grab their phones, their tablets. Get on their computer. Get on like Spotify, Audible, you know, Apple Podcasts, and just subscribe them to the show. That would be fantastic. Um, whatever floats your boat. Um, apart from that, um, you can find us on all the socials, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TRTVPod. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send us a hailing frequency to trtvpod at gmail.com. Open hailing frequencies to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode. Finally, if you do want to um, send us something like um, a Lego kit of an agonizer booth, that's cool. Make sure it gets to us. P.O. Box 2455, Azle, Texas, 76098. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to us. And as always, may you remember to boldly go and make it so.